0: We gather this morning to focus our minds and hearts on the truth, and that's a good reason to be here. We're going to be looking at a text this morning that if you don't have a Bible with you, while they'll be uh, displayed on the screen, you may want to actually look at it in a copy of the Word. There are a few Bibles in front of you, and our text will be found on page 886, and so you can see there. Uh, what we're, we're preaching from. When you're searching for the truth, the world can be a confusing place. There's so many voices and there's so many lies. It's not just that other people lie to us, it's that we often even lie to ourselves. In the information age, this digital age, hasn't made it better. It's only multiplied the problem. We have access to more voices and more lies, and trying to sift through it all, it, it's difficult to do, and yet we all know there's kind of an inherent human understanding that there ought to be truth that you can find. That's why we have words like fake news. And have you noticed how everybody uses that term to talk about somebody who's saying something that you don't believe? Um, we, we recognize that even in an age where we deny, many deny that there is such a thing as truth that you just have your own truth, we still use terms like that that show that we're actually looking for truth. We're longing for truth. We're trying to find something that we can actually hang on to. The reality is that it's always been that way. We see the very first lies clear back in the Garden of Eden coming from the serpent as he convinces Eve and Adam to set God's command aside to find what they have been led to believe will fulfill them. Sometimes lies just rule the day. And that's true not just in the secular world, it's also true in the religious world. In the days of John the Baptist, the religious and civil leaders of the Jews were largely in it for themselves. It's not to say there weren't some sincere folks among them. But many of them, despite their claims to be holy people, were in it for themselves. Anything that threatened their traditions or their power or their wealth or their reputation was considered an enemy of true religion. And they used religion, they used even the Word of God to attack those that would threaten their power structure. Well, John the Baptist was different. He wasn't baptizing people to make a name for himself. He wasn't doing it to gain a following, though he had disciples and he had a following unlike anybody of the age. He called himself a voice, a man in the wilderness sent by God to prepare the way for the Lord Messiah, calling a people to repentance from their sin in preparation for the arrival of the eternal King. When the time came to decrease his own following, to turn those who followed him over to following Jesus, he didn't flinch. His heartbeat was to see people follow Jesus. That's ever the mark of those that are true prophets and true apostles and true pastor-teachers. It's not about them, it's about Jesus. Our text this morning records how two of John's disciples listened to John's testimony regarding Jesus and therefore left John to follow Jesus. So in John chapter 1 and verse 35, we're going to read down to verse 42. Again, page 886, if you're looking at one of the pew Bibles, we read these words from God's Word, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Of course, by the time John is writing at the end of the century, everybody knows who Simon Peter is. But Simon Peter wasn't always Simon Peter in the way they remember him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Remember that Christ is a title, not a name. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title, the anointed one. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter three things we learn about following Jesus and how these disciples made the transition. And these are things that are going to apply to our own quest for truth and and finding whether we are really following Jesus or finding that we are following something else instead. The first thing we see in verses 35 to 37 is proclamation. and, And this text would say to us, heed... What the prophets say. Heed what the prophets say. John was the last in a long line of prophets, and his designation of Lamb of God reminds us of what the prophets foretold. Heed what the prophets say. In verses 38 to 39, we see invitation from Jesus Himself. Take the time to investigate who Jesus is. And then in verses 40 to 42, we see transformation. Jesus will not leave you the same. If you look at those points, it really it it leads you to Jesus and it it leads you to the conclusion that that what you see among genuine followers of Jesus is not what they um, disciplined themselves into. It's not what they did because they were smarter than other people or they worked harder than other people. If you see an actual change in them, it's because that they got to Jesus and then Jesus got to them. Jesus changed them. The question is, how do you get to Jesus? Because if you can get to Jesus, then He's going to change you for sure. And that's the point of this text. So first, consider with me the proclamation, heed what the prophets say. Let's look at those verses 35 to 37 once again. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I mean, Jesus is just walking by, and they seized the opportunity. John the Baptist had been sent by God to make Jesus known. We learned that last week. So that those that were his disciples who were learning from him and listening on that day before... They had heard what he said about Jesus, that he was the sin-removing Lamb of God, that he is the exalted baptizer with the Spirit who will change your life, that, that he's the anointed Son of God, God in the flesh. All of these descriptions were rooted in the predictions of the prophets of old. John was just the last in a long line of God-sent prophets. In fact, a prophet, by definition, is one who hears from God and then speaks to man. If he hadn't heard from God, he's no prophet. If he doesn't speak to man, he is no prophet. He has to be both, the passive, the listening, and then passing it on to others. These two men are called disciples, and we're used to that term. It's a nice Christian term. And it basically has this idea of one who's a learner and a follower. A disciple learns from his teacher in order to teach others also. So we're not just, they're just not, they're not students cramming for an exam. It's more like those that are in the education department learning how to be teachers themselves. Okay? They're, they're learning so they can teach others, and they're also watching the example of the teacher so they can imitate him. They want to live the same way he lives. And so, these are followers, these are disciples of John the Baptist. But if you're going to follow John the Baptist, you're going to have to go further than that. You're going to have to follow Jesus. It's like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's role, John the Baptist's role, was not for themselves to have followers, but to bring followers to Jesus. John the Baptist was the mentor of these two disciples. And our passage this morning reveals that one of them is the disciple Andrew. The other remains unnamed, which is John the Apostle's pattern throughout his gospel, this gospel that we're reading, to keep himself unnamed. He doesn't name himself. And once again, John the Baptist on this day, draws attention to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And immediately, all that comes with that title rushes into their consciousness, and they have to know more. Like, you really don't care about a man being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world unless you're worried about your sin, unless you want a cure for that, unless you understand that, that sin is the barrier between you and God, and you want to somehow get past that. And you know, you can't on your own. You, you can't come close to a holy God. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. This do in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile you, and there's no way you're reconciled to God. You can't get to God except through Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, we read in the text that they heard. They heard. They listened, and they heeded. And so they followed Jesus. They believed what John the Baptist testified about Jesus. And and how could they really do anything else? They had been paying attention to John's teaching and his testimony, and they knew John to be a reliable voice, for he was a man sent from God. He was a genuine prophet. And so when he speaks, they count his words as trustworthy, and they act on them. They heard... What this prophet, who echoed the voices of the prophets of old, what this prophet said. Have you heard what the prophets say about Jesus? What they teach regarding the Messiah. Because if you listen to the prophets, if you heed them, you will end up following Jesus. As you read the writings of Moses, you see him portrayed there, or you read Samuel, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Micah, or Malachi, or you hear the words of John the Baptist, they all point to the Messiah, to the Savior King. They all say he's coming, and John the Baptist announces he is here. These prophecies began in the garden, where God himself Moses records, speaks to Adam and Eve that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Then later, God calls out Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, In your offspring, all the families of the earth will be, dre- be blessed. And then he talks about Judah, from whom a king would come, to whom the throne belongs. And then he gives the promise to David that one of his offspring will sit on a throne that is forever. And then you hear the words of Isaiah, that he'll be wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. And, and he will pay the penalty for the chastisement of our peace will be upon him. And that he will succeed. That he will intercede for many. You hear... You hear the words of Jeremiah predicting that there will be a new covenant where God will write his law on the the hearts of his people. And you hear from the prophet Micah that this one to come, this king from everlasting will be born in Bethlehem. If you heed what the prophets say, you will follow Jesus Their testimony is not merely for information. It's not so you could fill up libraries uh, for seminaries. They give you what they give you. They say what they say to point you to the Christ so that you will follow him, so that you will let the good shepherd lead you to eternal life. His sheep hear his voice. No one can pluck them out of his hand. So I ask you this morning, while many of you are obviously familiar with the Old Testament, I mean, you're sitting in a church and you've been attending church for years, many of you, are, are you actually paying attention to what the prophets say? What they say about Jesus? Like, what time have you spent paying attention to the predictions of the prophets regarding the coming Messiah and Savior? I mean, you can, you can spend years studying the Bible and miss the point of the Bible, Who is someone you know who could show you those promises? If you're not aware of where they are, do you know somebody who could point you to them? Or maybe let's reverse it, since many of you have. I mean, you've heard literally thousands of sermons. You've read your Bible maybe through multiple times in a lifetime. Maybe there's somebody you know to whom you could show these promises. And then the question is, if that is true, when are you going to do it? I mean, do you really think as you walk on the streets of Greenville, as you meet people and you, you work with people, that they're all aware of what, of what the Old Testament prophets said regarding the coming Jesus? Many of them think Christianity is just a social construct. Many of them think it's just a matter of religious tradition. Many of them think that it's kind of a pipe dream. It's a fantasy world that has nothing to do with real history. And and you could, with showing them some love and giving them some time, you could actually show them. And the question is, when are we going to do it? How can we make that happen? Who are those friends? Who are those family members? Well, when these men begin to follow Jesus, Jesus issues them an invitation. In verses 38 and 39, we are instructed to take the time to investigate who Jesus is. We read in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to Him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What are you seeking? Another way of saying, what do you want? Jesus does not say, whom are you seeking? It was obvious they were seeking him. The question centered on why they were following Jesus. In other words, Jesus is is quickly zeroing in on their motivation, their heart desire. The fact is, as you read the gospel accounts, that many would follow Jesus just to see his miracles. I mean, those don't happen every day. Many would follow him because he fed them bread. Many would follow him because they wanted a king that would provide them political freedom and economic security. Some would follow him just to argue with him in hopes to trap him and even to destroy him. All of these followed him to use Jesus for their own purposes. It's still that way today. Many a person who talks about Jesus, many a person who shows up on a Sunday morning The reality is we have to ask all of ourselves, why are we actually here? I mean, is it about respectability? I mean, for a long time in America, if you're going to be respectable, you should really show up to church at least once a week or maybe twice a year. It's not so much that way anymore. It almost sounds crazy that we'd be more respectable by coming um, to a church service or coming to hear about Jesus or talking about Jesus. Maybe in the Southeast and in Greenville, it's still a respectability thing. Maybe it's about belonging to you. This is where your people are. This is where your friends are, so you come. Maybe it's because you're trying to salve your conscience. You know, there's there's much that God could hold against you, and so you're trying to, to make up the difference somehow. Maybe, maybe you're trying to satisfy the expectations of others. You know that your parents would be on your case if you didn't show up. Maybe it's just a habit. You don't really know why you're here. You just show up because that's what you've been doing for years. So what are you seeking from Jesus? Jesus? Not what are you seeking from Hampton Park. What are you seeking from Jesus? Or are you seeking Him at all? Every heart has its object. What's yours? We're all driven by desire. We pursue what matters to us. We pursue what we hunger for. What does your heart hunger for? Well, we have clues to what Andrew and John wanted from Jesus. They first off address Him as rabbi. It's a respectful way of saying teacher. It literally means my great one. And then they ask the question, where are you staying? Now, they're not asking for his address. Okay? I mean, even when we ask for somebody's address and phone number, like, you know, you've you've met the girl of your dreams, you know that you're not just asking for the phone number. I mean, that's not the end of it. They ask where He's staying because they're asking for time with Him to learn from Him. They ask where He's staying because they, they want to know Him better. They've been listening to John the Baptist. So if Jesus is the person that John the Baptist declared Him to be, to spend time learning from Him directly was priceless. Think about what that would be like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, the Messianic Son of God. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend... If you believe that about Him, who wouldn't want to spend a day with Him? John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets, but he himself declared that he didn't hold a candle to Jesus. Now, people have all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is, but much of what they think comes secondhand at best and often from those who don't know Jesus themselves, or from those building an empire or a name for themselves. That's not where you want to find out about Jesus. Go to the source. Go to him. Jesus says to the two disciples, Come, and you will see. And his invitation remains open, To anyone who wants to follow him, he's not afraid of your questions. He does not shrink from your exploration and investigation. Questions are good. If you're telling people about Jesus, don't be afraid of questions, those are good. Don't be afraid that somehow Jesus won't measure up. God the Son came in human flesh to make God knowable to mortal human beings. Look at the lengths to which Jesus went. God the Son went just so we could know Him. Look at what He suffered. Look at what He endured. Look at how He he exposed Himself and, and let people closely observe who He actually was. And the problem is pretty obvious, though, for us. We are far removed from those days. Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. So how are you going to investigate that? Well, how do you investigate any historical person? The only way for us to investigate now who Jesus really is demands that we heed the eyewitness accounts of what he did and what he said. Not the second and third person, you know, not, not those that are repeating, 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 but, but, but the primary sources. That's how any credible history is confirmed. So whatever you think about Jesus, make sure you pay attention to what those who knew him personally have testified regarding Jesus. People like Matthew or John or Peter or Paul. Make sure you're talking to a person or investigating through a person who actually knows him. This is exactly, when we studied 1 John, this is exactly what John says in his first epistle. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, at first it sounds like he's talking about a thing we realize he's talking about a person the life was made manifest we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you why so that you too may have fellowship with us you may have in common with us our experience of Jesus Christ and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the the key is listen to the people who actually know Jesus, who actually walked with Him, who actually touched Him, who actually heard Him, who closely observed Him. Get your notions of who Jesus is from them, not from some professor a thousand or two thousand years later, not from somebody who's done some comparative religion course. Talk to somebody who actually knew Jesus. Figure out, who Jesus is from them. What's amazing about this, because it's Jesus, the eternal Son of God, those who investigate Jesus, those who investigate Jesus by going to those who did so up close and personal, well, those people can come to know Jesus too. You can have fellowship with us. And on the flip side, if you reject the testimony of the eyewitnesses, On what basis can you get to know Jesus at all? How is that even possible? I mean, you can make up who Jesus is, but uh, that's not going to do you a lot of good if, if He's just the Jesus of your imagination. Is it reasonable to assume that all these who knew Jesus personally were liars and frauds? On what honest basis could we reach that kind of conclusion? It doesn't make any sense. John says in John 1:14 and 16, we read it earlier in earlier weeks, the Word became flesh and dwelt, pitched His tent among us, and we have seen His glory. We've closely observed His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And and when he saw it, he experienced from Jesus his fullness, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, more than we could ever deserve, pouring out from Jesus. John's first experience of the fullness of Jesus was on this day that our text talks about. It started about the 10th hour should be four in the afternoon. The, li- the likelihood is, is that they stayed the night because the day was already well worn. It was an unforgettable evening. With God in human flesh. So don't get tangled up in philosophy and in personal opinions of those who never knew Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. Don't get sidetracked on the the foibles and the flaws and the failures of institutions and individuals who say they're following Jesus. To be sure, every follower of Jesus is flawed. The only reason you would follow them is to follow Jesus. The only way to know their authenticity, those who say they're following Jesus, is to, to come to know Jesus as he actually is, according to the firsthand testimony. If these institutions or these churches or these individuals don't measure up, don't throw Jesus out. The re- when they don't measure up, that's, that's not a knock on Jesus, that's a knock on them. Turn your attention away from those doing a bad job of representing him and focus on the established firsthand testimony. That is why we're studying the Gospel of John. We want to know the real historical Jesus. And sometimes we can't see him because of all that's been built up around him. Now, once you've established who Jesus is and what he's like, then you'll know better who is actually a follower of Jesus versus just a follower of man-made religion. And there's plenty of it. Everything degenerates. Everything spins off. The testimony of the apostles who took time to investigate Jesus firsthand leads, leads to others coming to know Jesus through their witness And those others actually enter into a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, and with God the Father, and the God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells them, and that's what leads, that's what's going to lead to the next truth that we'll discover about true followers of Jesus. You find a person who truly believes the predictions of the prophets about the Messiah, and who's actually relying on the testimony of the apostles regarding Jesus Christ, and you will find a person who knows Jesus for who he is. That person will not and cannot remain the same person he or she once was. Followers of Jesus become more like Jesus. And that's why there are still so many today experiencing the power of the gospel. They have seen the power of Jesus in the lives of those who follow him, just as did his apostles 2,000 years ago. So, in what ways have you investigated who Jesus really is? From the primary sources, not people just talking about the primary sources. What sources have taken you off track? from actually following Jesus. Some of you believe what people 2,000 years removed say regarding Jesus rather than believing the people that were alive when he was here. That doesn't make any sense. That's not intellectual. That's not scholarship. That's foolishness. And what time do you regularly devote to spending time with Jesus through the firsthand testimony of the New Testament apostles? Look, I get it. You meet Christians who disappoint you. You'll disappoint yourself. You might be a genuine follower of Jesus and you're going to be disappointed in yourself. Peter was disappointed in himself. If you're looking at yourself, or if you're looking at if you're looking at some institution, or if you're looking, maybe your parents didn't do everything you thought they should do, maybe maybe they're doing anything that they should have done. And yet they they went to church. set all that aside and look at Jesus. Do you actually know Him? Don't don't, don't just do the lazy thing and, and throw Him out because of people who don't represent Him well. Pay attention to Him. Investigate Him. And then third, we see in our text, verses 40 to 42, transformation. Jesus will not leave you the same. Jesus will not leave you the same. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now we are drawn to this prediction of how Jesus would change Simon to Peter. But we don't want to miss the transformation that has already begun in Andrew. After one evening with Jesus, he is convinced that Jesus is the promised Messiah, so much so that he finds his own brother and tells him so and brings him to Jesus too. Now, we are called to make Jesus known to all the world to all ethnicities. But don't think that all your opportunities to do so are out there somewhere with people you don't yet know. Start at home. Start with your own family. And as the following verses will illustrate with your friends and with your acquaintances, why wouldn't you do that? You've already got inroads there. You already have connections there. If you're not pointing these people to Jesus, it's doubtful you'll ever do so with people that are far away. Remember, one of the striking things when we visited years ago with the Nunez's down in the Yucatan Peninsula and seeing the church plant there in Cancun and then the church plants in, in neighboring states was to, was to see how God built that church with, with new converts led to the Lord, and typically the pattern would be this. They would trust in Jesus. Their family would say, oh, you know, you've gotten this religious kind of new leaf thing. It'll wear off. After about six months, it hadn't worn off. The changes continued, and the whole family would come up, come to Jesus. That was how the church was built. We hadn't been there for some 17 years, and we went back to visit, and it's still happening that way. Because when you trust in Jesus, when you actually investigate who Jesus is and you actually get to know him and you start following him, you start trusting in him as the one who takes away the sin of the world, he changes you. That's the way the gospel works. And so the people you are close to know whether your faith in Christ has actually made a difference in who you are and how you live. Your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your children, they know whether you are still self-centered or whether you're now glad to sacrifice yourself for others, to help around the house, to give attention to others in need even when you are pressed for time to praise others rather than slandering them, to build them up instead of tearing them down. They know if you live Jesus or not. They see if you're irritable and fretful or patient and trusting. They see whether you love serving Jesus or whether you're actually serving money and you love position. They see if you're hardworking and sincere They see whether you are actually doing just as little as you possibly can, just enough to be thought decent in the public eye. They get to hear the loving care of your voice and to see the compassion in your eyes. And in all this, they see whether or not the gospel of Jesus is indeed the power of God unto salvation, or just another empty promise. That is why in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul encourages those married even to unbelievers to stay with them as long as those unbelievers are willing to remain. For such a saint of God brings holy influence within the family walls and graces the children with divine influence. So find your brother your sister, your dad, your mom, your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson, and bring that person to Jesus. I mean, look at us here today. How many people would that be? How many people would that be? I mean, Jesus already knows them better than you do, and in His divine plan, He's made you part of their life. Why did He do that? In part, so that you could introduce them to their Creator and their Redeemer, the one who will make them new by releasing them from their bondage to sin and its curse. Jesus transforms all who come to Him in faith. And to be sure, we bring plenty of baggage with us. But we can't ever be the same again. What begins with a change of heart flows out to a change of life, leading to a new destiny, an inheritance with the saints. So let their names fill your prayers. Look for opportunities to build and to strengthen connection with them. Talk about Jesus. Don't just assume. Show them how He changed you. And don't stop till they are looking into the face of Jesus themselves. And He is looking into their eyes to say, You are, but you shall be. You are Simon, son of John, or Jonas, or Jonah, that's who you are by birth. That's who you are by nature. That's who you are in terms of family connection. You shall be called, in other words, you're called, so that's your character and your reputation. You shall be called Cephas or Peter, a rock. Lots of people are shackled by their family history. They're shackled by their native ability. They're shackled by their IQ. They're, they're shackled by the opportunities that they've had. Jesus says, look, come to me and I'll change you. Simon was by nature brash and impetuous. He's a leader, but he's a loose cannon of a leader. Quick to speak before he thought through what he said one who seems to react instinctively rather than acting deliberately and wisely. But one day he will lead the people of God. He will preach the gospel of Jesus and thousands will respond. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he will preach and heal and even raise people from the dead in the name of Jesus. He will run from persecution in his youth. But in his old age, he will willingly lay down his life for his Lord. He will become a stable rock of strength and undivided loyalty to his Savior and Lord. Peter is not the only one Jesus ever transformed. Jesus transforms any and every person who comes to him in faith. He gives them peace from their guilt. He gives them life With that life comes love. He gives them purpose. He gives them joy. He gives them a forever family and an eternal inheritance. He makes them children of God, born ones of God himself. Transformation is the way Jesus works in all who follow him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, at least you say you are, in what ways has he changed you? And what are the names of those close to you that you could introduce to Jesus? And what actions are you doing and are you taking to do so? And is there something about your life that gets in the way of their believing that Jesus can actually transform anyone? You know, passages like this would really call us to repent of those kinds of sins, to stop excusing it as that's just the way I am. Oh, really? Jesus came to change the way you are. You are, but you shall be. That's the point of the gospel, to change who you are. Is that change happening in you? Have you actually gotten to know Jesus? Is that where your focus is? Is that where your life is? Is thats that... Is that the, the character and reputation of your life toward others, then, then you too will be able to bring them to Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's God's command for us. The prophets proclaim who he is, and if we hear, we will heed, and we will follow him. The apostles took the time to investigate who Jesus really is, and they write about it so that we can come and see. And when Jesus gets hold of us, He transforms us from what we are to what we will be because of Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus. And God, I pray... I pray that, that we might not walk away from him. I pray for those with us this morning who've really never really taken the time to figure out who Jesus is. They've kind of put it low in their priority list. They go through the motions of religion because they're here, but they're not actually interested in Jesus. Lord, help them figure out why. Help them become disgusted with their sin burden and how it tyrannizes their life. And help them to come to the only one who can take it away. And Lord, I pray for those of us who say we know Jesus. I pray, God, that the transformation that Jesus works in the lives of those who follow him, will be very evident, especially to those who know us best. And then, God, I pray, with that transformation at work in our lives, that that we will be thinking and we will be acting on, on how we can introduce them to Jesus. God, who should be here this morning With whom should we be spending time this week to show them Jesus? Lord, our families and our community and the whole wide world is open to us. God, may we not be blind and deaf to their need. May we introduce them to Jesus so that they can follow him too. For it's in his name we pray.